Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. I'm Tom Douglas, chef owner of a, a few of Seattle's hot spots, including a serious takeout out in Ballard, the 58th, 52nd, and 14th Northwest, uh, where we have serious pie and mochi donuts and our dinner box series. And of course, uh, we are rocking and popping here downtown at Serious Pie Downtown. Seatown uh, uh, restaurant uh, there in the north end of the Pike Place Market area, and uh, we're working feverishly on getting uh, the Dahlia Bakery open. We're, we're shooting for June second on the Dahlia Bakery, uh, along with a few of our other joints. We're trying to get up and rolling. So, thank you for joining us. I am joined by my longtime co-host, uh, the chef in the chapeau. Welcome, chef. Bonjour, Tom. How are you doing? Super fantastic. I'm live from Madison Valley, and uh, proud owner of Luke. And uh, with the uh, the patio open, so we have outdoor dining. And inside this week, we started indoor at uh, 50% capacity. And uh, I was very happy Then the governor put his hold on. We're not going to change anything because I was like, that would be too funny. Then the first week I opened, bam, we go down to 25%. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's just one of those things uh, that uh, we just are going to have to keep our ears on and eyes open for this, this constantly changing landscape that we're subjected to right now. So, Yeah, I mean, but anyway, we, we're doing great. Uh, indoor dining is picking up slowly, but surely people are realizing we're open. We're telling everybody, anybody who wants to hear it, we are now open inside. I know. Um, I ate there last night. It was delicious. Well, thank you so I, much I missed for coming you, uh, Yeah, I missed you terribly. Your, your team was doing a very yes. nice job, though. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, I'm very proud of those guys. They're working really hard, very dedicated. And it needs, a, you know, behind every great chef or every great man, there is a, a fabulous team because otherwise you are nothing without these people. So thank you, all, thank you to all of them. And uh, we're sold out on our Mother's Day box, and uh, everything is beautiful and honky-dory. Whoop, whoop. That means everyone who wanted Terry's box can now buy my box. Because <laughs> I don't believe we're sold out yet. So um, We have a great show today. Uh, we're going to get a little bit of uh, Terry's and my reaction to 11 Madison Park, uh, often the top-rated restaurant in our country, uh, being uh, changing over to an all-vegan menu. Vegetarian, vegan. Vegetarian, vegan. Vegan. Vegan, vegan. all-vegan menu. We have uh, tasty ideas uh, for a fast homemade dinner. 30 minutes or less, Chef. I, I, I know this is hard for you. I can do this no problem, but I know this is more difficult for you. And that doesn't mean pulling, uh, you know, veal demi out of your freezer uh, because you did the 24-hour work on use, that a month ago. Yes, it does. No, it can doesn't. Use, that counts. No, it doesn't count. Can I, use, can I use the old roast pork that's in my fridge? Yes. Uh, I could live with that more than I can with the the reduced 48-hour sauces that all of a sudden make a 30-minute meal. Uh, we're going to celebrate celery root uh, in remoulade. I made some celery root remoulade after I mentioned it on the show last week because it just gave me that instant kind of craving for the flavor. And I made it uh, the other night. I had uh, Loretta and Ben Jam and her husband over for dinner with Jackie and I, and I did a roast duck on the barbecue over a pan of potatoes Two big five-pound mm. ducks, and I served it with a little celery root remoulade, and it was delicious. So Yeah, uh, it sounds good. Yeah, looking forward to that. Lara Hamilton from the Book Larder in Fremont, which I haven't visited in quite a while, I must say. I drove by it the other day, and it happened to be closed when I went by, so I couldn't drop in. But uh, she's going to come and tell us about the hot cookbooks of the season. You know, there's two real seasons for cookbooks in the country. One is Mother's Day. 
and the other is uh, Christmas, right? So uh, yeah. that yeah. lead up to Christmas and Mother's Day are the two hottest book selling times. And so w- when you get new releases, they tend to be around those dates. So we're going to talk about what's hot and what's not when it comes to to books. And then uh, lastly, we're going to play our Rub With Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. We already have, uh, Sean, um, we had a little contest for some of our early Facebook watchers. Uh, You know, if you go to Hot Stove Radio on Facebook, you can watch us live on, on Friday mornings when we tape the show. That's right, 9 a.m. on Friday, and we're going to start a little uh, uh, sort of trivia to start out the show. So tune in a couple minutes early, maybe five, ten minutes early, and we'll have a little uh, trivia contest. A little trivia, or we'll do a little demo uh, of or, some yeah, sort. Yeah, guess what the... Uh, so we have a winner. We had some criteria. Of, uh, we had a, a special surprise machine on the counter, and people guessed what it was, what went in it, and then how they would have it at their breakfast or dinner table. So we're going to find out who our winner is later in the show. All right, Sherry, uh, I have two tastes of the week. One was my, uh, I just think people forget about duck because it's always, you know, it's generally in the freezer case and nobody buys things like three days in advance anymore to let it thaw and then go ahead and and put it on in their oven or on their grill or whatever, right? It's just one of those things that's a little bit of a hassle. But God darn it, it is the best hassle in the world. I love me some duck. And I put a couple of, uh, I had a couple of blood orange ends left. I put some of those in. I put some things of ginger in just for fragrance. Uh, and then I put some of my veggie rub in the duck, you know, just kind of sprinkled it in the cavity. Again, just as it roasts, it just kind of mingles with the duck. And then I put it on the charcoal grill over a big pan of potatoes. And golly, was it so you good. Put, so wait, wait, wait. Oh, hold on one second. You have a big cast iron pan. You have potatoes. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, a big cast iron would be fine. I did it like you say, but yeah. But you just, I move all the fire to one side, and I put on my lid, and so that I have my uh, ventilating heat. With the dampers open, it kind of rotates just like a convection oven would. And so I just let let them sit there and cook for three hours. And then I pull them off, let them sit for an hour. And then I bone them out. And then right before right. I serve them, I put them skin side down in a pan and just get that skin so nice and rendered and crunchy and delicious. And and oh. Jackie had made a plum mustarda at the farm this summer. I mean, yeah, this last summer with our plums. So I served my, my fresh duck with a plum mustarda. Oh, so good. Mm. All right. I left you a whole minute to talk about your taste of the week. Uh, it's okay. Kathy had made some beautiful roasted cauliflower uh, and we had some left in the fridge, and I was doing looking for an appetizer, a poo-poo appetizer, just a little, um, you know, nibble on with a glass of champagne. So I found some uh, panzanella crackers, and I did. I had about a quarter of a f- small fillet of smoked salmon trout. I crumbled that, mixed it with uh, diced. I, I chopped those uh, roasted cauliflower with a little bit of Dijon mustard and mayonnaise, mm-hmm. mixed the whole thing together, chopped shallots. Uh, to add a little texture and crunchiness and oniony flavor, finish with chopped chives and put that on crackers. It was fantastic. So roasted cauliflower and smoked salmon trout. A good, oh uh, my god! A good example of how to use up a couple of tidbits in your fridge that maybe yeah. would go, either go to waste or you just kind of snack on them alone. It was, it was a nice right. way to kind of just make a little combo, and next thing you know, you have something uh, romantic with your champagne. Exactly. I mean, it was really cool. Made like eight toasts and it was perfect. Mm-hmm. It was just perfect. Good. Up next, we're going to talk a little bit about Levin Madison, uh, which is uh, one of the most celebrated restaurants in our country, uh, has been taking a year off for COVID and is going to return 
as a high-end vegan restaurant. And I think you're uniquely qualified to, to talk about that, considering that you always had that uh, at uh, Rover's. When you had your fancy right. menu, you also always had a vegetarian option menu, five courses, and right. it was all kinds of hipster groovy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's when we come back. On Cairo, it's, it's called fine dining, Tom Douglas. <laughs> on Cairo, it's Tom and Terry in the kitchen on the Hot Stove Society Show, Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. You know, we have a blast around here. If you ever want to tune in, just go to your Facebook page and go to Hot Stove Radio. Uh, Chef Terry in the Chapeau coming to you. Yes, sir. And uh, have you read the news, Chef, um, that 11 Madison uh, Restaurant in New York City, right there off of Madison Park, uh, yep. uh, used to be uh, owned by Danny Meyer. Now it's owned. Uh, I think the uh, the other chef sold it, too, didn't it? Uh, what's his name? Will. Oh, Giarda. Will Giarda owns it now, right? No, Daniel Helm has it. Daniel Helm has it now. Daniel Helm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the big news this week was that they have decided in the fanciest, often considered the top-rated restaurant in America, to go vegan. And it's an interesting uh, process. Uh, We have tried vegetarian in our restaurants where it's vegetable-heavy focused and haven't been as nearly as successful i know i wanted you to talk for a minute about your experience of uh rovers when you used to do uh five course menus only right people could choose like this the seven course the five course or the five course vegetarian right that used to be the the deal in your restaurant uh and then i was curious and, and so that's 25 years ago i was curious how that went for you what percentage people ate vegetarian and do you think they have a chance of being uh successful being uh, like a $300 a service vegetarian dinner house. So what's your thoughts, so, Chef? So my thoughts on this is the price is a little bit high, but then again, it's New York and it's the best restaurant, you know, one of the top restaurants in New York. So I don't know. We'll see what the price does if it drives anything. I think more importantly than anything else is the provenance, which means uh, where, where the vegetables are coming from, what's been done to them, how they are, are they actually processing them and, you know, showcasing them. Cause uh, for us at Rovers, when we had the five course vegetarian, it was about, um, it started at about three, 4% of the cells. And then it became quickly 15 to t- all the way up to 20%, which, you know, I know it doesn't sound maybe like a lot, but that's a lot considering, you know, what we were doing. We're talking 1990. We're not mm-hmm. talking, uh, you know, we're not talking 2021 here. We're talking 1990. So, I thought that was, you know, I was very happy with t- doing 20, 20% of my cells in vegetarian because it was, and it was very um, creative in the way of my, my thoughts about the whole menu. And to give you an idea of price, that menu five course was $85. And, you know, and back it's also 20 years ago too. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's a lot of money. That's, that still was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that might be another reason, but uh, the, the consistent, the, the way of thinking to me behind a menu like this was, Number one, seasonal, obviously 100%, local as much as possible, and uh, to be something that is consistent enough so then the person doesn't leave after a five-course menu of vegetarian feeling like they got to go and stop at McDonald's on the way home. You know, the joke of like, mm-hmm. I'm still hungry when I'm finished. Yeah. Now, those were the, you know, and then, of course, after that, you have to show craftsmanship because you can't just put, you know, shredded carrot on the plate. I mean, you could. 
if they are the most incredible carrots, but you have to definitely give it can to me you have to give it some kind of a personal t- touch mm-hmm. you know something i don't care what it is you have to do something to it in terms of you can't just grate some carrots and put them on the plate and charge a lot of money for that. Well, I agree, TV. Chef. But a lot of these places like 11 Madison, you know, we're talking 15, 18 bites, uh, different courses, right? right so, right, you know, right. maybe uh, maybe uh, one of those courses being just focused on this incredible piece of asparagus. And you, you kind of step back and let the asparagus have the have the uh, have the, the top billing. But uh, not everything right. has to be manipulated by the chef. No, no, no. And I don't mean manipulated. That's not what I meant to say. I didn't mean like go and create something that's totally unrecognizable. I mean, just to put your own, t- your own flavor and your own touch to it. To me, that's, that's, that it's got just putting shredded carrots, even if it's the best carrot in the world on a plate without doing anything to it. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't agree with you. I like, for example, uh, let's say you're shopping at union square market in Manhattan or here at the Pike place market or one of the great right. farmers market. And you, some farmer hands you an apple and it is ethereal. It is like, OMG, it's the best apple I've ever had. I have no problem if that chef has made that discovery and literally on the plate, he is putting that apple, you know, a slice or two of that apple, and maybe it just goes with uh, a little pile of smoked salt. Uh, 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 uh. A little pile of smoked salt. Or maybe it's just the apple. Or maybe I pair it and I smear on my favorite peanut butter. (laughs) <laughs> right. No, but you know My what point. I mean. That apple can really have a – it really suggests to you, the chef's mindset, that that apple was the best thing he ever had. He loved it. Correct. Or she. Correct. And, yeah. and like you said, I would put that little bit of sea salt. I would put a little bit of maybe a, some kind of special oil that I found or whatever just to match with it because that would be my take on it. That beautiful, gorgeous apple deserves that on top of – you know, and, and it's, a, it's a discovery for the customer as well. All right, let's get back to 11 Madison then for a minute. So you would have, I know I would have no problem uh, once. I would have no problem. Let's just say it's a 15-course menu. I I have no idea what it is. But let's just say it is. It's a 15. And that's pretty typical for these fancy three-star restaurants. Uh, You might order five things, but then the kitchen sends out another five or eight things as little taste. Uh, that's not Correct. untypical, and it's part of why it's 300 bucks or whatever the number is going to be for right. them. Uh, I would suggest, from a price perspective, it's really not that much more expensive. The labor's the same, whether you're serving a veal chop or a carrot, right? It takes, it takes a chef, Correct. and it takes time. Uh, but there's some difference in price, but sometimes there's more manipulation. There's more labor in a vegetable, and I think when you Correct. get the finest vegetables in the world, uh, and then you have to prepare them, and you lose their weight because you've uh, peeled them or you've done shucked them or whatever it is it's not that much cheaper to do a vegetarian menu than it is a regular menu right yeah and definitely not today i mean in today's price if you look at your vegetable bill versus your protein and all that the the return on the money is definitely the the vegetables are very expensive they're not you know they're not inexpensive that's for real and so the, to me the price is to me, the price is irrelevant because it's not obviously for everybody. It's a it's a special treat, and it's for people who can afford it. So, the price is uh, aside from the price. To me, I think it's very cool that a restaurant like this wants to do nothing but vegan. I just want to see where they're where they're getting their. I can't wait to see their cookbooks. I mean, they're gonna have to come up with a cookbook. Yeah, and I can't wait to see all the creative. Uh, ways then they're going to come up with all those vegetables and everything. I think it's I know and and I think the the command behind it was obviously 
you know, preserving the planet and trying to be good and and so on and so forth, but, you know, good stewardship. So I think that's, you know, that's a good move uh, as far as I'm concerned. I just can't wait to see what they're going to do with it. So I also can't wait to see how the customers flock into it. I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think it's going to be jammed. Because look yeah. at what happened to you. You did. Uh, your, you, you've been doing dinner boxes for a year out of your restaurant, yeah. right? What was your most successful dinner box over the last year? Uh, Mother's Day. Oh, okay, but uh, before no, that, before that, I thought it was your vegetable dinner box. Oh yeah, yeah. The veget- the the biggest and fastest seller was the vegan box we did. Yeah, exactly. And you extended yeah. it a week it because was, it was so popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did it. We did it another week after that because it was so popular. Exactly. Yeah. No, no, no. So exactly. I think there's a lot of interest out there. Is my point. Yeah. And um, as long as uh, Pamela is running our show, producing our show at this point, we're going to have to deal yeah. with it head on because she's a she's a <laughs> veg nut. She's going to put it in your face. I know exactly. <laughs> Completely enthusiastic. <laughs> All right. Up, up next, let's talk about getting some food on the table quickly. Thirty minutes or less. And I've already laid down the gauntlet to Chef Terry that he can't just do all the prep months in advance and then pull it out. We have to literally do something that you go to the grocery store today, you bring it home, and you can get it on the table 30 minutes or less. On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. Chef in the Chapeau is joining me from Madison Valley. I'm Tom Douglas. Uh, we have restaurants in this town that we would love for you to support. Appreciate that. <laughs> yes, or you can go online on and buy some of my rubs or something online. I, we, yeah. I'm happy to send you things. It's awesome. Buy some to-go food from Luke or come on in for dinner. There you go. I like it. Um, Tuesday, by the way, we've extended our hours. It's Tuesday through Saturday now, 4.30 to 9 p.m. All right. Oh. Uh, chef, uh, 30 minutes or less. Let's make dinner. We're going to the grocery store. We, we know this is happening uh, all over the place. People are starting to head back to work. They're starting to cut down on their time that they have to cook. And the, it's time for us to give them su- some suggestions on how to be the most successful they can be. Uh, none of this um, taking risk of a flop and then having to call out for dinner, having to run out for dinner. We want something, a, a no-brainer, 30-minute or less. And I would implore you, Chef, and I know this is going to be hard for you, I would implore you, to use as little as possible from your frozen pantry in your home because not everyone uh, like you and I has, my freezer's full of pantry stuff. I can make a meal. I can just defrost my, I have jars of smoked brisket chili. I've got jars of lamb mole. I've got jars of pork curry with rice already in there. I mean, I've got everything that I can do in 30 minutes or less. But so you're going to the grocery store. You're going to pick up a few things. You're going to get home and boom, you've got a a dinner for 30 in 30 minutes or less. What's it going to be? You start. I'm starting with a beautiful couscous. I boil some water. I put a little saffron in the water because I happen to have a little, a tiny little box of saffron in my refrigerator door. I keep it in my refrigerator. I put a little saffron in there, a little sea salt. Bring the water to a boil, pour it over the uh, couscous, two to one, cover it with plastic wrap, let it sit on the counter for about six to eight minutes. And then I take some, uh, take a fork and I fluff it with a lot of olive oil I put on it and I fluff it, check the seasoning, salt, pepper, boom, done. I got the couscous ready. Now on the side of that, I'm going to have, I just went to the farmer's market and I got some gorgeous uh, baby turnips and I saw some artichokes. And I saw some, uh, what else did I see? The Ooh, when you start now. getting into artichokes, you're starting to blow your 30-minute time frame. No, no, don't worry. I, 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 let, let me finish. Okay. You, you take care of your time frame. I'm just saying. It takes me, 
takes me one minute to peel your artichoke. I'm going to peel the artichoke and I'm using only the bottom. I'm going to slice that bottom really thin and I'm going to throw it in an olive oil pan with, caramel, with the uh, baby turnips cut in small pieces and some chopped shallots after that. Mm-hmm. And I put the whole thing together so I get a nice caramelization, drop in some golden raisins and a little bit of uh, chicken stock or vegetable stock that I have in the fridge because I always have that in my fridge. Mm-hmm. That's something I use for my refrigerator. And um, I also have a leftover roasted pork, but that's uh, just a little piece. I'm going to take that and I'm going to slice that. You, that you bought that at the grocery store, right? Your leftover roasted pork butt? That yes, took three yes, hours Took three hours to cook. I knew you couldn't stay in the lines. I knew you were going to yes, go outside I, the lines. I'm trying to be a normal person oh who has God. leftover something. Okay, you're cut off. You can't follow directions. Oh, you're cut off. You just ding, 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 bong. You're out. <laughs> okay, I'm going to the store. You and didn't even I, finish. Uh, no, no, because you've already just took the three-hour roasted pork out of your fridge. Not to mention stock out of your fridge. You're supposed to go Everybody to the grocery store and then come home in 30 minutes make dinner. Just a quick little dinner at the, from the grocery store. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the uh, grocery store, and I'm going to get some uh, halibut. And I'm going to um, one pound at the most, like even a half pound will do. I'm going to get some tortillas. I'm going to pan fry my tortillas t- uh, to make a, a taco shell. That'll take mm, seven minutes to do enough tortillas for two. Uh, and then I'm going to take my halibut, slice it into six pieces. That took me 30 seconds. Uh, I'm going to sprinkle a rub with love that I bought at the grocery store, my pork rub on top, which is a south. I bought it at the store. That's what makes a quick meal. Cheater. Hold on. You bought, so I bought a little. You're not making your rub. You're I gave you rub 30 minutes to go to the grocery God. store. So I would suggest buying some rub with love, pork rub, southwest flavor, cumin, coriander, things like that. Sprinkle it on your halibut. Pan sear it. It takes not even a minute on each side, right, because they're just little slices. And then uh, in, in the produce aisle, you'll see different kinds of bags of slaw. So I bought a bag of the slaw, and I bought a, uh, just a little uh, vinaigrette dressing of some sort. And I marinated the slaw, squeezed some lime juice on it, and now I fill my taco shell with my slaw. I've pan-seared my halibut, and then a, a, a five-minute guac. And so for me, a guac is you just take a, a ripe avocado, which all the grocery stores have, you mash it with lime juice and salt. Boom. Done. There's no nothing. If you want salsa, add salsa. But don't put your guacamole and your salsa together. Then you have guac salsa. You don't have guacamole and Who salsa. A lot of people do that. They <laughs> no. put tomatoes and onion in their guacamole. It makes me crazy. Uh, so to me, guacamole is just the avocado, salt, and lime juice. That's it. Correct. And then uh, and then, one of my coworkers at the farm in, uh, in eastern Washington takes that and puts it into a blender, and she makes this kind of frothy uh, guacamole, uh, which I guess is traditional in her area of Mexico. Uh, and so, oh. um, yeah, so uh, to me it's a little thin for what I want in my taco. But the, right. And then uh, you can go to the fridge if you want it spicy. You just put tapatio on it or whatever kind of hot sauce you have in your fridge. Boom, 20-minute no, meal from the time you cilantro. step in your door, fresh cilantro on top. Sure, that took... In three seconds. Oh my God! Going to the fridge and taking the cilantro out and then wash it and then dice it—that takes more than. Three I buy seconds. organic cilantro. I don't need to wash it. 
<laughs> Plus, all the little caterpillars and stuff are protein, right? That's that's good. Anyway, for you. my couscous was delicious, by the way. Yeah, your couscous was delicious. The caramelized turnips, the onions, the raisins, and uh, some fresh mint at the end, olive oil. And then the pork was extra. You could do pork. You could do shrimp. You go to the store. You buy some shrimp. And oh, now that's a good idea, chef. Why didn't you do that in the first place? I was trying to not spend all that money because I got the pork in the refrigerator. Oh, I got to use that. Oh, oh, God. I was trying to be savvy there. Our, our oh. contest had guardrails, you know, for people like you. <laughs> do you guys ever buy that um, Maya Kamal curry sauce? That's, I do. That's my quick fix for a really fast dinner because no matter what's in the fridge, if you put it in one of her delicious simmer sauces mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and hopefully you've got some leftover rice, uh, you're done in like <laughs> 20 minutes. Do you have – uh, well, rice in a rice cooker only takes 20, and you can do the, your chicken cubes and then your simmer sauce in that same amount of time while your yeah. rice is cooking. Right. But you do need a veggie for that. That's uh, those are rich kind of coconut based sauces. Yeah, on it some needs of those. to be cut with some broccoli or yeah, or fresh if it's the season. A fresh tomato salad would be good with that, or or um, a little uh, sautéed spinach or something of that nature. Uh, do right. you have a favorite of the Maya Kamal sauces? I, I use her butter chicken a uh, lot. The butter chicken, the butter chicken sauce. Yeah, yeah mostly because uh, my roommate. Uh, doesn't like spices, so we keep it mild. Really? Is that because it messes? He's a wine cellar. Is that because it messes, it messes with his wine? wine. Yeah. Oh my God! Tell him to get a life. And what about steak salad? Do we have time? Sure. That's a. That's, it's kind of a classic at your house, Tom. It is. I like to make my own version of what I consider a a tie. You know, that's me taking liberties. Obviously, a tie like a T H A I, a Thai beef salad. And so I make you know all the greens. Um, Butter lettuce and mazuna, and lots of scallions. different greens, scallions, tons of mint, tons of Thai basil. It's good with an avocado in it if you've got an avocado sitting around. And But I think the key to my beef salad is I take a couple of whole shallots, peel them, slice them thin, and cook them slowly in vegetable oil until mm. they caramelize. We call them bittersweet shallots, right? Just golden brown shallots. And then I drain them. And so you can save that shallot oil for another, like a like a stir fry or something like that. But I drain them. And then my dressing is a classic wok cham, right? So uh, that is uh, lime juice, sugar, serrano chili, and fish sauce. And that's what I dress. That's perfect. That's what I dress the, the salad with. Uh, and uh, cucumbers. Don't forget cucumbers in there. And then I put my sliced yeah. flank steak or my sliced flat iron or something. It does take, I like it with a sliced steak rather than like don't i don't put a new york on top of that right it needs to have that delicate yeah, slice or skirt steak you love those terry yeah flank steak bavette any of those cuts oh those are delicious mm-hmm. delicious to go on those especially on on a steak salad or on taco oh yeah absolutely yeah you definitely don't want to put a big big hunk of steak on there no you just need very thinly sliced uh very thinly sliced is a key secret to any of these cut of meat mm-hmm. you slice them thin so you know it's easy to eat it's not too it's not chewy it's not everything and also cut them the right way against the grain it's also another the re, another thing uh you often see people who don't necessarily know how they cut them the wrong way and you definitely feel the chewiness in that meat right and i think it's important too like even if you're going to use new york steak uh don't buy like a half inch thick new york steak right or a right. quarter inch steak right. buy a thick steak and then uh, cut it in half and then cook the half that you want. Uh, but then you right. want to just slice it thin. But you don't get a nice char on the outside of your steak if, you, if it's so thin that you can't 
you're going to overcook it before it actually gets any crust on the outside. So uh, I would always err on, on buying a thicker steak and then having some left in the fridge uh, when I'm making a steak salad uh, like that. So right. I'm hungry now. I love me some good Thai beef salad. So, But the, the key, there's uh, the shallots, the big uh, sprigs of mint, cilantro, and Thai basil. Those are really what kind of make it jump off the table. Uh, Celeriac remoulade coming up next. What to do with those big, ugly knobs of celery root in your grocery store. On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right, let's make some celery remoulade here on the Hot Stove Society radio show. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Thierry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And chef, we're going into the grocery store, and we're going down the produce aisle, and we look around, and we see this big, knobby, ugly, rooty-looking thing with looks like a... Like Sputnik, a little bit of space junk uh, <laughs> in the counter there. They're all wet from the spray of the uh, produce aisle. And uh, they have sometimes have little bits of green sprouting out the top. Not too often. They usually uh, pair it up, trimmed up pretty good. But they do look intimidating. These big, ugly rounds of uh, a root vegetable called celeriac, or how I call it, celery root. Uh, yeah, celeriac is the French name. Celery root is the English name. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my mind, they're one of the, uh, I would say they're th- it's the most underutilized delicious vegetable in the produce aisle. So, for example, I see jicama in the produce aisle. When I, when I shop, I go right by it. it it's it's, it's yeah. just not for me. It's, and then when right. I see rutabaga, it's underutilized, not particularly pretty. It's got wax on the end to keep it from cracking they're fine uh, nothing draws me to them even the big round turnips i mean i love a big uh, like a daikon radish uh but right. even the big round turnips uh eh, they're fine uh parsnips are the closest thing to me that resemble uh an underutilized vegetable in the produce aisle that has tremendous flavor and tremendous uses to it but the celery right. root because it's so ugly I just think people are intimidated by it, and uh, let's start with how do you pick one, and then what do you, how do you get it? Like Pamela, when she cut the celery root that we had here, she used a paring knife, and literally 50% of the celery root was gone by the time she got done, instead of using a peeler where maybe you only lose 10% of the celery root. So how do you pick one, and then uh, how do you clean it up? Why don't you start, Jeff? So, so the first thing is it cannot be tender. It cannot... If you're using your hand and you're squeezing the celery root and it gives, it is definitely older than yeah. it should be. It's, it been, should. it's been waiting for you for way too long. <laughs> for way too long. It's spongy and it does not, that is not a good time to buy it. Correct. Yeah. It's either overripe or it's been in the, sto- in the uh, store for too long. Mm-hmm. So you need something firm. You need a celery root that is firm. Uh, two, yes, I would recommend using a peeler only because using a knife for a novice, I use a knife, but... I've done celery root peeling for all my life, and and that's very different. I've managed, you know, managed it so that I don't have to cut three quarter of the meat inside. So I'm good with my paring knife. But if you are a beginner, I would definitely say use a peeler, and then I would say either use a mandolin. If you use a knife as a beginner, I would say use a mandolin because it's easier. Just watch your fingers. Make sure you use the guard, and. Um, Let's take thin slices of that um, celery root and make little bâtonnets. It's one of the easiest way to 
uh, use the celery root if you're going to make a salad. So celery root is great raw, and it's also great cooked. So both ways works really well. It makes, obviously, if you're making a soup, obviously you don't need to worry about the mandolin. You just dice the uh, celery root. You sweat some onions in a pot, add the celery root, a little bit of vegetable stock or water, and then uh, cook it all the way tender. And then, best tool in the world, a beautiful dollop of creme fraiche or sour cream in there, and then finish in the blender. Blend the whole thing up, and it will puree just like potato does. And it's got that gorgeous celery slash potato slash sweetness uh, flavor to it. A good seasoning of salt and pepper. Finish with a little bit of olive oil on top. And bingo, you get a wonderful celery root soup. As a salad, one of my favorite ways is the one we're talking about, which is celery root remoulade, which is very classic in French. When I was apprentice, it was uh, one of the crudités that we would give away um, on one of the crudité platters. Uh, celery root remoulade is classic. Mayonnaise, Dijon mustard, cornichon, uh, chopped shallots or chopped onion, and um, little vinegar, white vinegar or red wine vinegar, and um, salt and pepper. And then you put that into the celery root, and celery root will tenderize and absorb some of that flavor, but still keep its personality. So it's a great garnish to, uh, for example, if you're doing, uh, we were talking about a roast duck, you were talking earlier, mm. Tom, and you made what you made at home last night. It's, to me, it's a perfect combination for that kind of meal. You know, if you're doing a roast uh, pork or roast, uh, even a big, beautiful uh, steak on the barbecue, that's a great garnish to it. It goes really well with meat, basically cut, you know, even cold cut does super well with that. If you're making a sandwich, celery root remoulade goes beautiful into a sandwich, especially if you have cold cut to go with it. You know, let's say you have some leftover pork roast or whatever. You slice that super thin. You put the celery root remoulade into your uh, sandwich with a little bit of uh, lettuce, and you've got this wonderful sandwich in your hand. Yeah, it grows great like on a corned beef sandwich. So rye bread, yeah. mustard, and celery root salad or remoulade, yeah. and then a big pile of salty corned beef is really a great combination. Right. Um, so how I make mine, and it's similar to yours, is I start with mayonnaise as my base, and then I use seed mustard kind of give it that yeah. Creole quality. Um, and then uh, for me, I look in my fridge and I, I find capers. Uh, the other night when I made it, I had crushed green olives, uh, some Tabasco, lemon zest, lemon juice. And then I always have a jar of the Mama Lil's uh, peppers around. So I just minced up a few uh-huh. of the Mama Lil's. And um, that was my celery root remoulade. And uh, I've used it a couple of different ways this week because when I make it, I make enough that it, uh, I like it just as well the next day as I do the night that I make it. Uh, it gets right. a little softer, right? The acids work the, the root a little bit, but uh, it gets a little softer. But uh, I made, uh, I've been working on a jerk chicken rub for our Rub with Love product line with a guy uh-huh. named uh, Trey Lamont. He's been on our show before. Cool. He's got the jerk cool. shack here. And so we, I was working on testing um, uh, our spices that we get commercially with his recipe to make sure that it was we were because he buys the spices from somewhere else. I just want to make sure that we were close in flavor profile. And so I was working on that. And uh, as a side note, um, I inhaled. Unfortunately, I inhaled uh, when I was spreading the uh, jerk rub on the chicken. I oh. breathed in at the same time. Oh, Uh-oh. yeah, I got a little I got a little coughing fit going on when that happened. Uh, oh that was in a little a little heat up the old nose. 
so anyway, so it was uh, turned out delicious, but I happened to have this uh, uh, celery root salad around, and what a nice combination with the cool kind of mayonnaise mustard dressing with the spicy jerk rub on my chicken. Uh, right. It was a great combination. I, I, I got to say, I would never thought about it before, but it does right. make sense when you think about it being kind of a Creole dish. I see this dish in New Orleans the most of any place I've been. Yeah, and I think it's you. You should think about it as uh, just like you think of slaw in the summertime. Mm-hmm. You should think about celery root slaw in the winter time. You know, that's a good way to look at it because you know celery root are actually at its best right now. You know, the whole winter month and now. That's when it's at its best. You know, in the summertime, it's actually growing. It's not necessarily the best, but right now it's at its peak. So, you know, it's a time to have that slaw before you get into the cold cabbage slaw for the summertime, 4th of July and so on and so forth. Right. You know, this is this is a great way to do it is to use it as a slaw. Okay. But and so just, just, just to reiterate, uh, when it's in the on the grocery shelf, on the in the produce aisle, you want to pick it up, feel it. It should feel heavy for its size, Right. Right. That's really firm. Uh, it should look moist, not dried out. And they always right. have a trimmed end, just like your romaine does. A lot of things have trimmed ends at the right. grocery store. It should be nice and bright. It shouldn't be this dark brown, like it's been oxidized there for a, a and, month, oxidized, which is sometimes, yeah. you know, it's not the most popular vegetable. So sometimes it does sit there for a month. And a right. grocery store, they have to buy a case. They can't just buy like one pound from the produce supply. Correct. So they're trying to get rid of the whole case, even though it's not super popular. All right, we've got another whole hour for you. I hope you stay with us. It's going to be a fun second hour. We're having a good time right now. We're going to learn about the Hot Stove Society classes going off campus, uh, what to look for in our seafood markets right now. Uh, Laura Hamilton's going to be here. It's got a big show coming up. Stay with us for another full hour of fun. It's the Hot Stove Society show, 97.3 FM. We are back for hour number two. This is the Hot Stove Society Radio Show. You can find us on uh, Cairo Radio live on Saturdays and Sundays. And, of course, uh, you can always podcast us uh, from your favorite podcast downloading place, I'll say. All over the place. Right, (laughs) Chef? That's right. I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in a hat, owner of Luke in Madison Valley, and now open for indoor dining Tuesday through Saturday, as well as our covered patio. So, we're ready for you. Come on in, and uh, we look forward to serving you. And I'm Tom Douglas, owner of uh, Serious Takeout out in Ballard, 52nd and 14th Avenue Northwest, right in the brewery district there. We're heading back in. You know, this is the time of year that last year we were just had just been open a month at our new restaurant yeah. out there in Ballard, and now we're 14 months into it. Isn't that the craziest thing? Uh, it's just something it's else. It's been an incredible time. It's been an amazing year and a half that's been gone by so fast and yet so many different things we've had to do and change and unbelievable yeah uh, so uh in this hour we're going to talk about um, what to look for when you're heading into a seafood market uh, there's lots of interesting things out and about right now including spot prawns and halibut cheeks laura hamilton is going to be here from the book lauder to talk about um the new uh, releases that are in the marketplace you know chef uh Mother's Day and the Christmas holiday were the two biggest cookbook shopping days of the year, and or, or right. times, not days, but times. And uh, so uh, there's always new books to talk about right now. Uh, lastly, we're going to play our Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. Uh, we have a lucky winner who guessed. Is that true, Sean? So we have a, somebody who has fulfilled our request for what this mystery 
piece of equipment was in our kitchen. That is correct. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, do we want to spill the beans on the lucky winner at this point, or do we want to wait till the end? Let's spill it. Let's spill it. So we can get their addresses for their prizes. Uh, Kathy Young was the first to answer with the correct identity before you changed the rules. Oh, about the I only said the rules one time. Only and said the- then we got a second <laughs> entry from Laura Kleinhoffs, who uh, suggested Washington strawberries and homemade whipped cream. Mm. Yum. So it was a bubble waffle makers, yep. uh, what, what our uh, mystery piece of equipment was here in the kitchen. And, uh, yes, uh, it, it's, a, it's an iron, and then it makes a bubble waffle, and then it's going to be served with fresh Skagit Valley strawberries and uh, delicious whipped cream. So, yum. Can't How wait. about a little maple syrup drizzled on no, that, too? No, chef. Strawberries <laughs> yeah, yeah, and whipped cream. Yeah. A little drizzled on maple syrup. Ooh. No, that's not from the Northwest, chef. Yeah, well, yes, it is. They said uh, yeah, it everywhere. It <laughs> Hot Stove Society is going off campus. Uh, Pam, maybe you want to jump in on this. In addition to gradually welcoming guests back to the Hot Stove, Chef Terry, uh, you know, we're going to do a trial class today to see how Hot Stove works in person along with our virtual setup, our cameras. You know, we're, we basically created a TV show here, Sean did, and our, our TV studio here. And so now we want to see how the two mix together. So after the radio show today, I'm actually doing a test class to see how this works out and see, make sure that we have good sight lines and all that cool stuff that happens here at the hot stove. So uh, we're gradually welcoming guests back here to the hot stove at the Hotel Andra. Uh, and we're also expanding our curriculum, Pam. Uh, tell us about that. Well, because you love fire so much and you've inspired <laughs> us to cook over wood, mm-hmm. we need to be outside sometimes. Right. And because we have the beautiful warehouse in Ballard all set up with tables and tents, the first trial one, Bridget is going to make paella over the fire. Over the wood fire. Yeah. Nice. And it's uh, oh coming up. Oh, my God, up, that sounds so good. Doesn't it? She's going to do oh. a seafood version and a vegetarian version to stay safe and compliant with the governor's recommendations and the science. We're limiting it to 12 people. Mm-hmm. As we get used to the space, I think we'll be able to entertain larger groups, but we're starting gently. Mm-hmm. That's coming up first. I haven't gotten from you yet. Uh, you've committed to a grilling seminar and teaching about how to tend your fire. We've got a date held, but maybe you could tell me more about what you're going to be teaching for that one well, on there's, June there's, 11th. Yeah, there's two things I want to get out of that, uh, or three maybe. One is a fun Father's Day. Right. And so we're not going to try and take the dads away on Father's Day. So the week before, we're going to offer a class on grilling steaks. And I think uh, I'm going to ask somebody that I know to bring a gas grill uh, Ah. to the warehouse because I don't own one. And uh, I'm going to have my charcoal grill at the warehouse. And so we're going to put to rest the whole idea that. Uh, what is the better grill to cook your steaks on? <laughs> so that, to me, is uh, it's going to be interesting. Wait, wood or charcoal and gas? Uh, live fuel or, or not. So okay. gas is not considered live fuel, right? Live fuel is charcoal or wood. So uh, right. we, can, we can talk about that. So uh, that's going to be interesting, huh, Chef? Uh, uh, yeah, I, be, I can't wait to hear the results of that. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about the different cuts of meat that make for good steak grilling. So uh, as, I, as I mentioned to Chef earlier, for me, if I'm cooking a steak, a New York steak dinner for the two of us, for Jackie and I, 
Uh, my preference is neither one of us need an inch thick or an inch and a half thick steak. Uh, but from a cooking perspective, it's much nicer to cook an inch and a half thick steak because I can it can be on the grill long enough to get a crust on both sides. And then I will take the one big steak and slice it into slices for us mm. to share yeah. rather than buying two thin steaks that barely get warm on the outside, no crust at all, because by the time right. they're medium rare on the inside. Right, Chef? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, the best part of uh, anything on the grill is the outside. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the most of the outside is the better. So you know, we're going to do that. Yeah. And then, you know, cowboy steaks are super popular right now. So we're going to uh, teach how to butcher and cook a cowboy steak because uh, they're very simple. It's really just a rib roast that has the, the long bone uh, left on rather than cut off by, your, by the butcher. And so uh, we're just going to show how to cut them up, trim them up, grill them up, and eat them up. That's good because I'm intimidated up. by them. So. By the cowboy steaks, rolling, yeah, rolling. just too big and unwieldy. Too big, and I always think it's going to be a cold, rare middle. Uh huh. And embarrass myself in front of my guests. Because you know, when Pam comes to my house for dinner, <laughs> I have to put a sauté pan on the stove. So after I cook the steak for everybody else, I can cook it more well done for her. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so you're having your steak for dinner. Own it, Pamela. Own uh, it. Okay, proudly. Yeah, proudly own it. <laughs> um, all right, so I know uh, the uh, roses, roses from around the world is uh, May 28th, Friday, June 11th. I'm teaching uh, cooking on fire, and our socially distanced paella class is when? Uh, May 13th, next May 13th. Thursday. All right, so super fun. Looking forward to kind of getting this thing rolling again. Up next, fresh and seasonal seafood favorites from your local fishmonger. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's time to head to your local seafood market and find out what's seasonally fresh right now because this is really the beginning of the entire grilling summer seafood season right now, right? Everything's popping yep. and it's exciting. And, uh, and I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Jerry Rotier, the chef in the hat. Uh, so, chef, uh, when I was um, working at the or looking at the seafood market the other day at Shoreline Central up there in the, the Shoreline area right off Aurora, a uh, few things came to my mind right away. Uh, one was um, halibut cheeks. They are uh, yeah. they are out and about right now. And Pamela, I know you get yours at the Fresh Seafood Company there at 84th and 24th, right? 24th or 80th and, 80th and 24th. 80th and 80th, and 80th yeah. yeah. Right next fish. to Larson's Bake Bakery. I often shop at the Wild uh, Salmon Market there at Fisherman's Terminal. I think that is so fun to take a stroll down the boat ramps and and uh, buy some seafood from wild salmon. I go to my friend Harry at uh, Mutual Fish. I go to Wajamaya. That's where I go. Mutual, yeah. I went and had uh, sushi at uh, Shiki Restaurant the other night, and they had the live tank, as Uh he does every season, for the spot prawns. And literally, um, uh, I know this grosses some people out. I don't mean to be gross about it, but it is the best way to eat the spot prawns. He literally just takes them, uh, fishes them out of the live tank, and takes the head off, and he separates the tail, and puts it on uh, nigiri rice, right? So, uh, mm. uh, so fresh and delicious, and uh, really an interesting so way. How else would you make spot prawns? <laughs> well, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of uh, grilling them, mm-hmm. but grilling them in a very, very hot fire, because you're trying to make sure that you're not overcooking those spot prawn. Spot prawn comes with heads on, usually live, you know, and, and if you just toss them with just a little bit of seasoning on it, and throw them on the grill just like that. You close the lid, super hot, you know, and you close the lid, 
and uh, within two minutes, your spot prawns are nice and char on one side, flip them on the other side. In three minutes, your spot prawns are ready. You know, just one minute on the other side, mm-hmm. and you get beautiful. The, the, the seasoning on the outside makes a nice little crusty flavor um, on the shell. Because I like to be able to peel my shrimp after they're cooked, mainly because you get a lot of nice little flavor on the shell. <laughs> exactly. Your, your finger of a lot of flavor as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the spot prawn themselves are just so so beautiful. We're very blessed to have those spot prawn here. Uh, you know, sweet, uh, delicious, I don't know, tender. I mean, I don't know what else to say about those spot prawn except they're just fabulous. Oh, the number one thing you can say is don't overcook them, right? So if you're just oh, getting yeah, the yeah, tails, yeah. if you're in a, in a situation where they just have the tails, which is perfectly fine, you're better off with right. just tails than you are with dead spot prawns where the head's attached, right? right? Because the enzymes right. from the head will ruin the meat on the tail, right? So Absolutely. you're much better off that they uh, that with tails that have been uh, separated yeah. from the head uh, appropriate amount of time. And then I like to, uh, I'll, I'll butterfly the tail, uh, leave the shell on, but I'll cut through it, butterfly it open. And a lot of times spot prawns have the row uh, uh, right. on the bottom of it. And I p- push the row right back up the center of my butterfly. And then um, right. on a separate pan, I'll make some brown butter and I'll put some mm-hmm. lemon zest in it, right? And lemon juice. Mm-hmm. And I brush my mm-hmm. raw spot prawns with the brown butter and the lemon juice. And then at the hottest point of my broiler, you know, turn your broiler on and let it get crazy hot. And then you right. simply, on a little sheet pan, just pop those under the broiler, and they cook in yep. less than two minutes. You want yep. them essentially raw, but just tinged with heat uh, and right. enough to melt the butter. But eating them raw is really, you know, it's not a bad thing. You want to get them warm no. so that the butter melts. Because you don't like to eat cold butter like that, but that's essentially all you're trying to do is melt the butter onto and warm up the shrimp. Right. But you're not trying to overcook them. Okay, halibut yeah, chicks. Okay. Halibut chicks. Oh, I love halibut chicks. Now, brown butter in a pan, halibut chick is how oh, I love to make my halibut chicks. Halibut chicks takes a little bit longer to cook than uh, than regular halibut piece. Um, it's also a little bit more fibrous, so you want to make sure that you don't do it rare because it will be very fibrous. Um, but brown butter, so brown butter in the pan, season your, your, your halibut chicks, put them in the brown butter, spoon uh, in hand, and then keep basting your, your other piece, the, the top part of the halibut chicks with your brown butter the whole time you're cooking. So you bring the butter to, medi- to brown, and then you go to medium heat. And then the whole time you cook that halibut chicks, and then you flip it on the other side, and then you do whatever you want with that. One good thing that I like to do with that is sauteed new potatoes mm-hmm. you know you take new potatoes and you saute them you know c- cut in small pieces and then saute them in butter with just a little touch of olive oil in it so it keeps the butter a very nice heat medium heat and then you roast all those beautiful potatoes finish with fresh herb at the last minute in the potato nice finishing salt and put the alibut chicks with it brown butter alibut chicks oh you know what i love to stir in this that kind of preparation uh, because I love the white fish against. If I have those new potatoes, I will stir in some uh, ruby chard or something like that, mm-hmm. which only takes a minute to wilt. And then I right. serve my, you know, we do scallops sometimes in the same way, right? The, the brown butter scallops right. or the brown butter halibut cheeks. They have a right. similar texture in a funny way. Um, and then put that on top of that dark green ruby mm. chard along with those uh, nice p- new potatoes. Mm. What a great spring yeah, and, dinner. And this is a great way to use a very good vinegar. If you have a vinegar, you finish at the last second 
a little, just a little jet of uh, vinegar in your butter, and then put the brown butter right on top of your piece uh-huh. of halibut cheeks. Oh man! Yeah, delicious. What that kind of vinegar delicious. would you say to use in that? I would use a nice red wine vinegar, but not not the cheap factory made. Uh, you need to find something that has beautiful flavor. So it's very important that you have a nice red wine vinegar that is made from grapes, from wine, from you know something that has a flavor. Mm-hmm. But if you have that, or even homemade, which is the best kind of vinegar you can make, is take all the leftover red wine and you know put in the container and make red wine vinegar. But anyway. If you can find that vinegar, um, you know, balsamic would work too. But people, uh, most people have balsamic vinegar nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good one to use as well. But red wine vinegar, because it's got a nice bite with a finishing touch of acid and that, that remnants of wine. So you mix that with the brown butter. So it makes kind of like a hot vinaigrette. Yeah, you know, it's not hot, hot vinegar, vinaigrette. Basically. And it's good with that kind of stuff, especially with the potatoes on the bottom. Right. Ooh. All right, we're just getting into salmon season right now too. This is typically when yes. we start. We're starting to see around the fifteenth, eighteenth of May our first Copper River salmon. Uh, I just got yeah. asked by a company the other day if I wanted to accept the first one. Last year, uh, we got the first one. It was an uh, eighty-pound king or fifty-pound king. I got eighty portions out of for our grilling for good benefit for Food Lifeline. I don't yeah. know if you remember that. I remember. Or not. I think yeah, you came and got a couple of pieces of fish, if I remember yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah but. That was so this year, you know, it's a whole year now. And so that first Copper River is going to hit the markets here really quickly. So my advice is your first piece of salmon you buy that is fresh and gorgeous, just fresh off the boat, just do a little tartare. Try a nice little raw salmon, thinly sliced, thinly, thinly diced, just a little bit of sea salt, maybe a little bit of uh, argan oil if you have, or toasted nut, nut oil like hazelnut or something like this. Just mix that with your salmon sea salt enjoy it's yeah. a nice crostini yeah. and then just enjoy the salmon as it is because it's it's beautiful i mean you know raw is is uh is definitely uh another way to eat the the salmon around here and it's mm, delicious well i mean the health department would argue with you they like to see <laughs> that fish yeah, yeah. frozen and uh, they, they argue but, with me a lot so well i understand <laughs> but uh, i'm just saying throwing that out there that that is not something recommended by your local <laughs> health department um, up next let's talk about new cookbooks that are coming out in this uh, time of Mother's Day uh, for the season uh, with Laura Hamilton from the Book Larder in Fremont. On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show 97.3 FM. We are back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen. Chef in the Chapeau, where are you, sir? In Madison Valley, live and... uh it's beautiful and sunny here. I don't know what it's like in Ballard, but or in downtown, but uh, nice here. It's seventy degrees and sunny. Very lovely. Uh, uh, downtown is uh, has a dark cloud over it as it usually does. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. no, I have no idea. I'm indoors. Uh, we have, are excited to have uh, Laura Hamilton here with us from the Book Larder in Fremont. As we've been telling you, this is the time of year. Both the uh, Christmas time and Mother's Day time are the two hottest times for new titles to be coming out from all the different publishers around the world and laura has a few that she would like to share with us something that's uh, kind of struck her fancy hi laura welcome to the show thank you so much for having me hello hello what's going on in the cookbook world oh my gosh so much is happening in the cookbook world we've got lots of wonderful titles this spring and as you said especially for mother's day and our shop is open for shopping um wednesday through saturday by appointment 
um, which can be booked on our website. But, you know, if you stop by and uh, we have space, you're welcome to come in. You can also make purchases online, choose in-store pickup, and we'll just let you know when your book is ready. You can just pick it up that way, too. But I've got some really great titles this week. Um, First and foremost um, is local chef Renee Erickson has a brand new book called Getaway. And it is all of the books I think I'm talking about today are especially um, timely given our current situation with not necessarily being able to travel broadly yet um, and also just starting to get together with friends and family again. And this book is really inspired by her travels all over around the world. It is organized by location. So she's got places like Rome and London and Baja and then also Seattle, of course. And each chapter focuses on the things that she loves about the city, the things she loves about the food scenes in those cities. And then, of course, um, wonderful recipes for cocktails, starters, mains, sweets, you you name it. Um, It's beautifully photographed by local photographer Jim Hankins and Renee wrote it with local uh, food writer Sarah Dickerman. And it's just it's a wonderful book. And I'm very excited about it. And we have signed copies at the shop. Yeah, I love the whole signed copies. Probably first editions, too. That's what I collect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For sure. We have those. I think I think it's a great concept, especially in the time we're living in right now. I yeah, the especially. idea of travel, traveling through someone else's mind. Exactly, exactly. And she's someone who's so whose food is so influenced by you know the experiences that she has and early translates well in this book. The next one I have is by um, Sheldon Simeon, who you may know from Top Chef, and this is um, his book, Cook Real Hawaii, which is again talk about sort of traveling through your cookbooks. Um, this is a really wonderful book full of. Great recipes, of course, but also wonderful location photos. And so um, I know I've got a few friends that have got Hawaii travel plans um, on the calendar. And um, I don't have those, but boy, I'm experiencing it through this book. And it's a really nice combination of sort of traditional Hawaiian dishes and then um, the food that Sheldon makes that are really influenced by sort of his Filipino background. Mm -hmm. And so it's just really, it's really wonderful, beautifully photographed good stories, good recipes. And I think, you know, sort of, it's a very personal book, which I think always makes a lovely gift. You know, I hope that there's a, I'm I'm anxious to see that because sometimes I think Hawaiian food gets kind of translated in kind of post-World War II uh, GI, uh, you know, ration kind of food that I think it, it doesn't get the all the real attention that it deserves on the quality of ingredients and the, and the, time and place of where it actually is it tends to be looked at in a different kind of lens yeah mm-hmm. i think that's definitely true um and this one i would say um you know there is definitely a tiny bit of fam um, because that just is embedded in the food culture there i think now but this one really draws from um all of sort of the different cultural influences that really make up hawaii and it's really delightful sheldon is a good guy i've met him at the market in maui a couple of times and been to his restaurant and he's a very talented man, and he definitely is a great supporter of the local uh, culture. So that's cool. So the next one I have um, is out of the UK. It is by Max Halley, who has a really fantastic sandwich shop in London called Max's Sandwich Shop. And his latest book is this very whimsical, highly entertaining book called Max's Picnic Book. 
And I chose it because, you know, we are starting to sort of get together with family again. We're doing a lot of gathering, I think, still outside for the most part. Um, and this this really tries to make picnics fun again, um, sort of take the pressure off of always having a wicker basket, always sort of hand making everything that um, is in your picnic. Um, and it's got just absolutely hilarious writing and photography. Each picnic has a theme with dream guests and an essay that Max has written about it, um, almost surrealist photography, and then um, hacks sprinkled throughout. So, like, for example, he's got um, eight of the best things you can do with a soft drink to make it a cocktail. So things like just put some, you know, Campari in your Fanta and mm-hmm. you know, you'll have something really wonderful. So um, it's a lot of fun. It's And if you like to read your books, it's just extremely entertaining um, and it's really delightful. That's and funny then, that you say if you like to read your books, because one of the things my editor told me when I wrote my first book was don't worry about repeating yourself like in chapter 11 because uh, depending and compared to like say chapter one because nobody reads a book all the way through and it would be new for them and then the first thing that I heard when people bought my very first book is oh I took it home last night I read it cover to cover it's like no you're not supposed to read it cover to cover (laughs) you're going to see that I, I, I repeated myself a few times yeah. Well, but I think that that's one of the things that keeps cookbooks relevant, actually, is people, I think, more and more enjoy reading them cover to cover and enjoy having like this cohesive story in their hands, mm-hmm. um, not just through the food, but also through also through the author's stories and their lens. Right. right. And so. So, yeah. Keep writing those stories, Tom. <laughs> I did that with your book, I have to say. So there you go. OK, so my very last choice, then, Tom, is going to be my bonus pick. Because you also um, are, well, I, I, I can't really put myself in the Brandy Carlisle fan league that you are in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm a massive fan of Brandy's, as, as, uh, as you are, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, we have signed copies of her memoir, Broken Horses, at the store. Um, which, yeah, it's a cookbook store, but I also carry a few things from um, authors that I love. But the other thing I really wanted to shout out is the audio version of this book which is available through Libro FM, which if you are looking for ways to support local bookstores, buy your audiobooks from them. Brandy reads the, reads the book, which of course is just like having her tell you her story, but she also recorded, I think it's 31 new versions of songs, something she's never recorded before for the audiobook, and it is just, it's spectacular. So everyone... <laughs> should either get the book or listen to it because it's great and it again would make a wonderful mother's day book because it's so much about her family right so that's l-i-b-r-o libro books yep libro.fm libro.fm and they are actually a local company and uh part of their you can you can sign up for an individual bookstore and part of the proceeds from your sales go to that store cool you know brandy's a good cook yeah. she's a big meat eater and uh, she loves to cook steak and we got a chance to cook together right here at the hot stove society uh raising money for her foundation the looking out foundation so uh even though her book is not uh, generally a cookbook it comes from a cook's heart yeah i think that's a great way to look at it for sure all right go visit laura hamilton at her store in fremont called the book larder it's fantastic she's got lots of signed books and uh 
lots of everything new and exciting, plus a, a great library of books there to choose from. So go online and check out the book larder. Up next, it's the Rub with Love Tasty Trivia Challenge right here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society, 97.3 FM. It's time to play our Rub with Love Tasty Trivia Game. Rub with Love is a small batch, versatile set of rubs, sauces, and mustards that bring extra layers of flavor to just about any meal. I make it, We make them at our warehouse in Ballard. Uh, look for them at your local grocery store and specialty shops or find them online at TomDouglas.com or my buddy Stan or Amazon or, or you name it. Uh, we're out there and about in 5,000 different retail locations around the country. Uh, we had a little contest uh, pre-show, uh, and who's our winner, Pamela? Two winners, Kathy Yung and Laura Kleinhoffs, will receive this week's prize of smoked paprika. Our special cold smoked version will be perfect uh, when you learn how to make paella from Bridget. Uh, the seafood rub, which has a mild curry flavor, and just in time for the grilling season, a jar of our ancho molasses barbecue sauce. Oh. Yum. What a trio. And silver you. medal winner, <laughs> a silver award winner at the and Fancy Food Show. we know Laura Kleinhoffs, isn't she? Yes, with- she's a great friend of the company. Yeah. Are this- we ready to dig in now? Yeah. Yep, you have to tell the rules, yes. and then we'll go from there. The rules, the three contendants, contestants will each get five questions. Uh, the one who is the loser, is responsible for paying the shipping of the prize package to this week's winners. So try hard, guys. Okay. Ready? Terry, you like to go first. Sure, I'll start. Question one. A Scoville scale is used to measure what? (laughs) Dairy. Dairy. Dairy milk. A Scoville scale is used to measure the spicy heat of peppers. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> Double usage. I like it. Number two. What was ketchup used as during the 1830s? Ooh. This one's... A weapon. Ooh. <laughs> Fake blood when they did their, their battles. <laughs> In fact, it was medicine. No. Yeah. Two wrong. Three. Okay. The technical name for the white part of the egg is known as what? Albumine? Yes. Winner, winner. Mm. Number four. Pants on fire. In Indian cuisine, what is roti? Potatoes. Bread. 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 (laughs) Sorry. That's Uh-oh. French cuisine. Thinking, what is roti? I was thinking, I was, <laughs> feeling pretty sorry. good here, Tom. I was thinking of potato roti. You're right. Um, no, I was thinking of something completely different. You're right. Okay, never mind. Bread. Of course, bread. Of course, it's bread. Uh, I mean. Okay, here's a good one. Number five. What is the name of the small flat griddle used to cook tortillas and meat in Mexico? It's a very common name. Plancha in, in Spain and in uh, Mexico, it's called a... Oh. Uh, tortilla press. Uh, tortilla. I tried to give you a clue, chef. I said it's a very common name. Starts with oh. a C, and it's normal oh. for Mexicans to use it. Okay, it's a common so... thing. Normal. <laughs> it... Five letters starts with C. 
ends with a come on. It's a come on. It's a come on. Terry might be paying shipping this week. Holy cow. One out of five. Okay, Bridget, your turn. Bridget, Bridget, challenge is up. Challenge is up. Bubble tea originated in what country? Taiwan. Yes. Ooh, yes. good one. What I is that. the only edible food product that never expires? McDonald's hamburger. God, no kidding. Yeah. Wow. I would have said mustard, but it's not it's not savory. So it's not Okay. Edible food product, so like food products could be so many things. Naturally occurring. Well, there are lots of food products that are naturally occurring. I'm trying to give you a hint. Jeez. Let's just say salt. Spices, salt. It would uh, be honey. Honey. Uh, Honey. Number three. In medical emergencies, coconut water can also be used as what? An electrolyte for hydration. I'm giving that to you. The answer was blood plasma, but I consider that close enough. Oh, what? For a yes. blood plasma? No kidding? <laughs> I like to fix the results. Oh. That is so close. She's being nice to so me. <laughs> Number four, how is white sugar converted into brown sugar? Uh, actually, it's kind of the other way around because cane is processed and cooked down to make that molasses base. Brown sugar is made and then white sugar is extracted from it. Should we give that to her? So the molasses is the added molasses to the cane sugar. Sugar to make it brown. Yeah. I would say I that. I fell asleep a half hour ago. Oh, whatever. That is yes because of your understanding of sugar production. <laughs> Number five. What dish is also known as bean curd? Tofu. Yes. Screaming into the lead. Wow. That was. Four correct. Wow. Hopefully Tom Bridget. got some hard questions. Yeah. It was actually two correct with two gives. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, All right, true. Tom. It's true. How many calories are in one gram of fat? Uh, I would say one gram is one twenty-eighth of an ounce. So I think an ounce of fat has 170 calories or 220 calories, something like that. So I'm going to say uh, in one gram of fat, I yeah. will say there are five calories. It's nine. Hmm. Nine. Ooh. Is he close enough? That's pretty close. Yes. We'll get close enough. enough. I don't need your charity. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. You say that now. I'd say that forever. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> Look at Bridget. You said that now. <laughs> Who is known as the inventor of frozen food? The family name is what the we're... Jolly asking. Green Giant. No. Bird's Eye. Yes. Bird's Eye. Clarence Bird's Eye. Wow. Number three, scurvy is caused by the lack of which Citrus vitamin? juice. C. Yes. Number four, what is the segment inside an orange called? Uh, Supreme, when it's been uh, released from its uh, cell structure. Uh, what's it called, uh, like a botanically? Yes. A segment. <laughs> It's a carpel. A carpel. <laughs> I used to fish for those. Much. That was you such an easy much, question, Tom. <laughs> and finally, flour cooked with fat is known to make what? A couple of chefs from England called the Rue Brothers. <laughs> the Rue. Uh, 
Terry's paying for shipping this yeah, week. Time we like to return. Bill is tallying up nice. for the last few weeks. Nice job, everybody, and congratulations to our winners. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show, or just listen in and send us nice questions to our website. Uh, there's always a way to participate. Uh, you're listening to us on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. The show is produced by Pam Hinckley. Sean McFadden is on the board, and Sean DeTore is our editor. Also, remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society radio show, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and happy Mother's Day.